Uh, now, last week, if this is your, your first time with us uh, for this series, last week we kicked it off by talking about how in Christ we are a new creation. In Christ, we, we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 highlights this amazing truth. It says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I love that. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You know, we talked about some important and foundational truths uh, that align with this this text. And uh, things like how God's grace is a gift. It's nothing that we can earn. We we can't do enough good works to earn God's favor and grace in our lives. It's a gift. Uh, You can't even earn God's love. We, We also talked about how God has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives And how in Christ, we are God's masterpiece. If you remember, we had the example of of knitting. My wife is an avid knitter, and I said she actually has a problem with knitting. And uh, we talked about this word masterpiece, how it's closely related in in the Greek to this idea of cloth or fabric being woven together. What a beautiful picture that even as we sit here today, God's not done with us. He's working on our lives in and, and through our lives. Every day he's molding and developing us into the people that he's called us to be. So, so that you and I can be Christ's ambassadors. We can be his witnesses here in this time and in this place. And so that you and I are being prepared for eternity with Jesus. And this week, we're going to look at what I believe is the next step, the, the next aspect in our faith journey. And today's truth, I believe, is so important in every Christian's walk with Jesus. In fact, living this out has the power to change our lives. I don't know about you, but I want to know what that is. All right, if something is that powerful, that that important, that it can change lives. So uh, growing up, I used to get really excited about dressing up for Halloween, all right? And I know that can be a really sensitive subject in, in church and in the church world, you know, whether or not it's okay to participate in Halloween. So for the sake of our time today, I'm not, I'm not going to address that. But I w- what I would like to do is just share a memory with you that I have uh, from dressing up for Halloween as a kid. This was, this was such a fun time for me. So thinking back to when I was between uh, 5 and, and 10 years old, this, this whole time, I wanted to be the same thing for Halloween just about every year. All right, it really didn't change. It was, I wanted to dress up as either a ninja, a Peter Pan, or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. That was, that was it for me. And to this day, some of you know this, but my all-time favorite movie is the movie Hook. All right, it was made in 1991. Robin Williams uh, stars as Peter Pan. You have the Lost Boys. Um, you have Rufio and Captain Hook. And it's just my favorite movie of all time. It's like a desert island movie. That's what I would take. But looking back, it was never the the Ninja Peter Pan or Ninja Turtle costume that I was actually excited about. I mean, sure, it was fun to dress up, and and I like to do that as a kid. Here's what it was for me. It was always the accessory that came with those costumes. So think about this for a second, and then I want someone just to blurt it out. What accessory comes with those costumes? A sword. You're right, a sword. It it was never the costumes itself. It was the sword. You know, and in my mind, really, no Halloween costume is complete without a sword. All right? This is, I I just get so excited about that. You got to have a sword because walking around with a sword in hand or around your belt, it was the greatest feeling 
and the world. And what made it that much better was having a friend who also chose a costume that came with a sword so that the two of you could have a, a sword duel. That you could battle with each other. and Because you, you can't have a sword fight by yourself, right? That would just be weird, all right? It would look, it would look weird. It just doesn't work. Now, the swords were always fake, right? But can you imagine, just for a moment, what if they'd been real? Think about this for a second. I mean, how dangerous would that have been? All the kids on Halloween, not just myself, but all the kids having a sword that, that was real. Think about hearing uh, the evening news on Halloween night, all right? So more nurses are needed in the ER, stat. You know, uh, responsible parents are at it again. And how about this one? There's been a recall on all the swords made between this date and this date. I mean, there would be some damage. Even if you tried to stay away from it, somebody would get cut. Someone would get hurt if they were real. You know, we usually think of a sword as a dangerous weapon, and in a lot of situations, it is. But today, we're going to talk about the power of reading God's Word, which is described like, like a sword and actually cuts in a positive way. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. And if you have your smartphone, your tablet, you can open up as well, and we'll have the, the scripture on the screen today. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, this is what we read. It says, For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now when we take a step back for a moment, um, we see that the book of Hebrews is actually believed to have been written sometime around or before 70 A.D. And while the human author is not identified, we do have an idea of who the original audience was. So the very earliest manuscripts for Hebrews um, identifies this letter as being addressed um, to the Hebrews. And most theolo uh, theologians agree that this would have been second-generation Jewish Christians. So this letter, it wasn't written to one local church like a lot of Paul's letters. It wasn't written to an individual person, but it was meant to be read and, and lived out by a broader audience. And, and a lot of Paul's letters were as well. Some people do think that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, I, I don't think we have enough evidence for that. And quite honestly, I don't know that that's what is important. Hebrews is so consistent in theology with the rest of Scripture, and it does so by elevating the Word of God as our ultimate authority for how we live our lives, for how we worship and serve and, and view Jesus, and for how we come to an understanding of who we are in Christ. In the book of Hebrews, God's Word is compared to a sword, a weapon that uh, people living in Jesus' time would have understood. The Roman sword was typically two-edged or double-edged, and it could easily penetrate flesh in battle. It could cut right to the heart. Now, you have to keep in mind, this was first century. So the actual example of swords that we still have to this day um, don't really look like swords anymore, <laughs> all right? But this is, these are replicas, and this is what the, the Roman sword would have looked like, whether you're a centurion and you have a hundred men under you, or whether you're a Roman soldier, or whether you're a family that just happens to have a sword under the bed, all right? This is what a Roman sword typically would have looked like. You can see it's double-edged, it's sharp on both sides. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, 
the imagery of a sharp sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. This, this would have brought up realistic images for those who would have heard this in the first century. Think about this for a second. If you lived during this time, and this is what you were used to seeing on people's waist and, and carrying, this would have been open carry at the time, all right? This would have brought up some realistic images, stories that had been passed down through your family of battle and, and war. So when the author of Hebrews is talking about the imagery of Scripture being sharp like a sword, this, this would have meant something to these people. The author of Hebrews was helping these early Christians understand this simple truth that God's word cuts to the truth. God's word cuts to the truth. And it's, it was vital for the early church and it's vital for the church today to value, to read and apply God's word to our daily lives as we seek to live for Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you're taking notes, the first point for today is this, that God's word is alive and powerful. God's word is alive and powerful. Now, when you think of something that's powerful, this is a rhetorical question, but what image comes to mind? When you think of power, what image comes to mind? For me, I, I don't know why, this is the first thing that came to my mind this week, but I think about the, uh, the atomic bomb videos that you can find on the internet. You see the, the bombs like blowing up, and they're massive. There's so much power behind these things. I also think about seeing a tornado in person, and that's probably because I'm from Oklahoma. We just got back, and we spent some time in the shelter while we were there. I shared that with you a little bit last week, but I, I think about, when I think about power, a lot of times I think about destruction. You know, I think for a lot of people, when we think about power, we see it as a negative thing a lot of times, something that's destructive, like a natural disaster, or even a person who has been given power and authority, and they choose to abuse that. But the Bible says that God's word is alive and powerful. This, this isn't a negative thing. This isn't a destructive thing. This is a positive thing. This is a life-changing thing. See, God's word is not just a collection of human words. It's not just another bestseller that sits on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. They have a section for it, but that's not its rightful place. God's word is living, life-changing. God's word is at work in our lives when we invite it in. God's word is alive and powerful. You know, if you want to experience the power of God at work in your life, whether that's through prayer whether that's through the, the plan and purpose that he has called you to, whether that's something that you've been praying for in your family, a miracle that you need to see. If you want to experience God's power in your life, reading his word is not only important, it's vital. It's vital. You see, reading God's word helps us understand so many wonderful truths. Number one, it helps us understand who God is. Scripture tells us that God is a personal God, that he's all-knowing, that he's sovereign, that He's all-powerful, good, patient, loving, that he is kind, full of mercy and grace, and that he is a righteous judge. And these are just a few of God's attributes or characteristics that we learn about when we go to God's word. That's, we have to go to the source to learn these things. But reading God's word also helps us understand who we are. It helps us understand who we are in Christ, and it helps us understand who we are uh, when we're outside of a loving relationship with Jesus. See, in Christ, uh, Scripture tells us that we are free, that we're set apart, that we are made new, that you and I are adopted as children of God, that we are recipients 
of a wonderful inheritance, both now and in future tense. When we're in Christ, we're forgiven. We learn these awesome truths by reading and applying God's word to our lives. We also learn that outside of a relationship with Christ, Scripture says that we, and this is kind of hard to hear, but that we are at war against God. That we're not living under the authority of Christ, but under the authority of sin. See, a sword can be extremely sharp and powerful. And this, this image reveals how Jesus wants the church to view and, and use his word in our daily lives. God's word cuts away the junk and it shows us the truth about who God is and about who we are in Jesus. And as you and I consistently take time to get alone with God, to read God's word, it comes alive in our lives and it offers us practical, relevant guidance for daily living. Sadly, there, there are a lot of churches today that do not encourage their people to read God's word. Especially in times outside of when the church comes together and gathers. But I say, I believe it's crucial. I believe it's so important. God's word is alive and powerful. The second point I want to talk about today is this, that there is no substitute. And I want you to hear this today. There is no substitute for reading God's word. Only supplement. So the, the teenage son of a friend of ours who lives in Texas recently told his dad, who's also a pastor. So you have this, this teenage son whose father is a pastor. He's been raised in the church his entire life. He's probably seen things that most people don't normally see, heard conversations that people don't normally hear. And this is what he told his dad just a couple weeks ago. This was shared with me this week. He said, maybe the reason people take the Bible out of context is that our churches encourage us to go to church more than they encourage us to read our Bibles at home. That's some wisdom from a young high school student who has had a front row seat to where the church is at today. There's some wisdom here. You know, while, while gathering with the church and hearing the word of God preached is so important, and I would say it's vital. Church, do you realize there's only a small amount of scripture that I can cover on any given Sunday and even throughout the year? And that's why God's word should be faithfully read and taught in our homes, away from our Sunday morning gatherings. We're, we're talking about God's word like a sword today, able to cut between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. I believe that God's word works in our lives like a surgeon's knife. It's able to cut away and reveal who we are and who we aren't. It gives us guidance and direction in how we're called to live for Christ. It, it, it tells us how we're supposed to build our homes, how we're supposed to interact in our, in our marriages. As moms and dads, how we're called to train up a future generation of, of little ones who would be disciples and love the Lord. It faithfully and consistently teaches truth to all generations. God's word even reveals the lies that are present in every culture throughout all generations. God's word teaches us where to go, what to do, and, and what to run from. We've said many times from our stage that we value our youth ministries and our children's ministries. We think that this is a fun time for kids and it's important for them to be involved in. And I would 100% put my stamp of approval on that. That I, I agree wholeheartedly. Because in these settings, they learn how to live out their faith in a way that's easy to understand for their age and stage in practical ways. But hear this, church. Youth groups and children's ministries should only be the supplement 
to what they're experiencing at home. You could say it's the side dish to the main course. It was never meant to be the main thing. We've said that we'd like every person to be involved in a growth group or a Sunday school class. These are settings where we can ask questions about our faith, and it's important to ask questions. We've talked about in these settings, we grow in our relationship with God and with other people. We discover our gifts, and we we find ways to serve God through the context of the local church. But hear this, uh, growth groups and Sunday school classes should only be the supplement to what we're experiencing throughout the week. It's another side dish to the main course of getting alone with God through his word. Sunday mornings are the same, and this might step on some toes this morning, but I, I think that we've had a, a crazy shift in our culture and in the church of what, how we view these things, how we view Sunday morning and how we view uh, small groups and Sunday school classes and, and children's ministry and all of these things. These things are amazing. I think they have a, a, a specific purpose in our lives, but we view Sunday mornings the same way. And, you know, I hope that my sermons act as spiritual food and nourishment for you. But church, you cannot enjoy just one meal per week. If you do, you're going to starve. I wonder if this is why so many Christians are never satisfied. Why we find ourselves complaining so much about things that really don't matter. That we're always anxious and we're torn between faith and, and, and what the world has to say. We, we tend to view Sundays as our end all to our spiritual growth. Sundays are good and serve an important role in our lives. Scripture even tells us that we should not forsake meeting together. So you could say it's a command, that there is a reason that we gather as the church. We should do this. But at the same time, I believe it is a supplement. It should be a supplement to what we're eating throughout the rest of the week. Church, if this time is our only time spent in God's word, we will starve ourselves to death. Our, our view of Sunday mornings have been so mixed up over the past years, decades, however long it is, that did you know people are actually going to church services now and then going home and rating them between one and five on Google? All right? This might sound crazy to you, and maybe you're here and you've done that. And, and again, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because this is crazy. All right, people go to church services now, and they'll go home and they'll rate it on Google. They'll say, well, the, the worship was just, eh, it was okay today. The sermon, you know, normally they're good, but it just really didn't hit home with me today. You know, it, it really, I'm not really getting much out of his messages lately. Or this is just wild to me. Let me flip the script for a second. If we're going to rate something, shouldn't we rate how much time we're, we're getting alone with Jesus throughout the week when no one else was watching? How much time we're spending in God's word when no one else is watching? Shouldn't we rate how we're using our gifts, serving Jesus through the context of the local church? Shouldn't we rate our own giving and generosity? Are we being faithful with the resources that God has given us to be stewards over? Instead, we live in a time and a place where people are ranked based on their performance in church. Church, that blows my mind. And we wonder why so many pastors are, are, are leaving the church. I can thankfully say that I, we haven't seen any of that here. We, I haven't. I, th I think for the most part, you guys, you get this. But we live in a culture where this is so prevalent every, every day, every week. And, and because of that, 
people see that, staff see that, leadership in the church sees that, and that becomes what drives the decision-making in churches. Instead, we should be led by the Holy Spirit, and we should go where he calls us to go. Amen? Not by what men say. Wasn't it Paul that said, if I was here uh, to serve men, then I wouldn't be serving Christ at all? That's not our goal. Gathering on Sunday mornings is important. It's vital for the church. But there is nothing like getting alone with God through his written word when no one else is watching. Maybe you've got that down and you're thinking, you know, this, this sermon today is just really a reminder, which is great. But maybe, maybe you'd say, I, I need some growth in that area. Church, my challenge for us today is that we would, we would get back to that. You know, the, the devotionals that are written by other men, those are great. Those can be encouraging. The, the daily Bible text that you get that's just one scripture, that's, that, that is good. That can be encouraging. The small groups we go to, the Sunday school classes that someone else prepares, that, that can be good. But there is nothing like opening up the word of God and getting alone with your creator and reading it in context, praying through scripture in context for what God would have in your life and how you're called to live for him. You see, when we do this, God's word helps reveal the areas where we need growth. And that's what this whole series is all about. It's about growth. Scripture helps us to stay on mission and gives us a clear understanding of why we need Christ in our lives. God's word fills our lives, satisfying where nothing else can satisfy. Maybe that's you today. You've you've been looking to other areas to, to try to satisfy a void in your life. And I'll tell you, when I have these conversations individually with people, and they say, you know, I just haven't felt God move in my life lately, or my faith is feeling dry and it's feeling empty, or I'm really not getting much out of the church services anymore. I always ask this question after I give them time to explain that. I say, How, what's your time alone with God like? Honestly. What does it look like daily, throughout the week? What, what does it look like to be alone with God through his word? And usually what comes out is, well, I haven't been doing that much lately. And see, what happens there is we start to allow other things to try to satisfy only where Christ can satisfy. We start blaming other people for our shortcomings and for the areas in life where we don't feel whole. God's word fills our lives, satisfying where nothing else can satisfy. I believe that this is why Jesus, when he was being tempted, said that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus was quoting Old Testament scripture and he was able to fight Satan's lies and attacks with the truth of God's word. That's what we fight with. That's what God's word does in our life. God's word is alive. It's powerful. It's it's active. There's there's also no substitute for reading God's word. I believe there's only supplements, things that we can also do that help us grow in our faith. But that's not all we should be doing. If that's all we're doing, we're starving ourselves. The third thing I want to talk about today is this, that reading and obeying God's word changes how we live. It literally changes lives. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. The writer of Psalms says, I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. This psalm focuses on the value of God's word in our lives. And these verses that we're looking at this morning are a reminder to us that we live in a broken and impure world. The only way that Christians can stay pure is to stay intentionally and intimately connected to Jesus through the reading and obeying of God's word. We've got to stay connected and rooted to the source. I believe it's in the Proverbs that early on it talks about wisdom. It talks about worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. And godly wisdom starts with, the, with having a fear of the Lord. Having that relationship with Jesus. That healthy understanding of who God is. And it goes on to talk about how in this world, as we're pursuing either a relationship, the wisdom of the world, or uh, wisdom in a relationship with God, if it's the former... We tend to make up our own laws, our own ways for why things should be done the way they should be done. We start going by Craig's way and instead of God's way. We, we have to get back to the source. You know, when we read, learn, and apply God's word to our daily lives, we're given guidance on how to live God's way. On our own, without God's word, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to Satan's attacks in our lives. We're vulnerable to allowing the world's wisdom to come and take root and have a place in our lives where only Jesus is supposed to be. On our own, with, without God's word, we're going to lack the kind of wisdom he wants us to have, the kind of strength that he wants us to have. The writer of this psalm reminds us that you and I have a role to play and following Jesus and allowing Jesus to change us. And that is that if, if you're, I would say this, if you're in a season where you're ready to give God the, the driver's seat in your life, here's the role that you have to play. Reading God's word consistently is a good place to start. And that's why I believe this is an important aspect, a vital aspect of our faith journey. We have to be a church, families and individuals that stay connected and rooted to God's word. Reading and obeying God's word changes how we live. It changes lives. Reading God's word is so important in our faith journey. As a church, from a servant leadership level down to the youngest of kids in our church, we, we believe the promise that God's word is alive and active. We also value God's word as the ultimate authority in our lives. We need to remember today, church, that there is no substitute for reading God's word. Again, I do believe that there are supplements, things that are good and good for us that we can do. But this is some time for some personal reflection today. If all we're doing is gathering on Sunday and going to a Sunday school class once a week and then it's just empty throughout the week. I mean, I, I like to eat. I can't go without having three meals a day, you know. <laughs> we're having barbecue after church today. That, that just gets me excited. We should treat the word of God that way. We shouldn't be able to go a day without it. So what do we do? Where do we, where do we start today? Well, again, if this is just a reminder for you, and you would say, you know, I'm already doing these things, and God is actively working in my life. The word of God is taking root. That is amazing. Use that as part of your story. Share that with others about what God is doing in and through your life through his written word. But if you would say, you know, I've kind of gotten away for that, from that, or I'm just trying to sustain myself on the supplements, or I'm not doing much at all, I think a great place to start 
And it's never too late to start. I think a great place to start is in the book of John in the New Testament, the New, the New Testament gospel of John. You know, as we talk about the overarching theme of growth as a church, whether it's growth spiritually, numerically, physically as a family, the book of John is really ground zero for getting to know Jesus in an intimate and personal way and for understanding the gospel the good news that we're all called to live out in our lives. So what we've done today, if you'll look in your bulletin, we've provided every person uh, with a church-wide reading plan. And for the remainder of the month, uh, we're going to encourage you uh, to read one chapter from the Gospel of John every day. And that'll get us through this first half of this series. You know, church, I believe that God's Word is alive and active. And when the church comes together and we're reading God's Word together, Amazing things can happen. You're, you're free to read ahead if, you, if you're saying, well, one chapter is not enough for me, read ahead. If you're saying one chapter is too much for me, slow it down. In fact, God's word doesn't really mention Bible study at all. What it does mention is meditating on the word of God. And it talks about that consistently from the Old Testament to the New. I think there's actually more value in sitting and just reading a, a text, whether it's a short uh, a few verses and allowing that to really soak in than just speed reading through Scripture because you don't really allow God to give you the time. It's like going on a cross-country trip. I would rather just get to the destination, all right? I'd rather just fill the, the tank up and get there. Faith wants to stop at every single stop, all right? Take pictures of everything. And so there's a compromise there, and maybe there needs to be a compromise in your family as well. If you're reading with your spouse or your grandchildren, um, I, think, I think the point, though, is that we begin to read is that we start the journey. As we focus on growth over the next few weeks, let's take seriously uh, the privilege that God's given us to read his word. Let's allow Jesus to change us from the inside out, being the church that he has called us to be. Hebrews 4.12 is a promise. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper It's not as sharp or almost as sharp. It is sharper than any two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Allow Jesus to do what only he can do in your life.